Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Welcome into this latest installment of the Golf Channel Podcast. I'm your host, Will Gray. Pleased once again to be joined by Brandel Shambly. Brandel, thank you for taking the time to talk. My pleasure. I uh, always enjoy talking to uh, you, Will. Well, I appreciate Looking forward that. to it. So it's been about a month or so since we last talked in the bowels of the Waste Management uh, Media Center there <laughs> in the interview room, and a lot has changed. A lot has occurred as we speed downhill towards the Masters, and usually I would think that we would start with Tiger Woods, but I'm actually going to pivot. We're going to start because I cannot believe how much traction this particular story has gotten, and it's Justin Thomas not only winning the Honda Classic, but everything that went on in the 16th hole with the fan interaction. The guy is in his ear. He says stuff to him walking to the tee. He says stuff to him after his ball is hit. Justin has the guy ejected, and social media melts down to the point where two days after he wins the golf tournament, or one day after he wins the golf tournament, JT has to go on Twitter and back up and apologize and say I overreacted and shouldn't have had him thrown out. So I will, you can take that any which way you want to go with that, but, but your thoughts on what well, clearly is a, a hot button issue. First of all, everything's a controversy on Twitter. Uh, things that are That's what Twitter was built for, right? right? Things that are a controversy and should be a controversy, like gun control, and things that should not be a controversy and are. You know, you, you should never let the angriest element define the narrative. Um, so, yeah, I'm sure that he's taken a lot of heat over this. Uh, I thought he overreacted. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, there's a big difference between somebody yelling for your ball to go into the bunker after you've hit a shot and yelling profanity or yelling why you hit a shot. There's a big difference. I mean, you've bought a ticket at a sporting event, at a major sporting event with tens of thousands of people around there, and you want somebody else to win, you're entitled to yell for and against other people. Now, I know that's not within the traditional protocols of the game of golf, but if everybody in the game of golf is <clears throat> complicit in this grow the game, then you have to be complicit in the fact that people are going to come to the game without traditional golf values. And one of those is when you watch a sporting event, you pull for and against people. You know, these are these are not country club. The golf landscape no longer is just littered with country club uh, genteel types. There are people out there, and maybe they're invigorated by Twitter and social media forms. Uh, who knows? But they're darn sure entitled to yell, get in the bunker um, when you hit a shot. It's funny. The very first time I ever, ever went to a golf course, I was 13 years old. I almost got kicked out of a golf tournament for yelling at a player's golf ball to go into a bunker. 
And it was because this particular player, I was following another player in the group, this particular player who is notorious, and at the time I'd been playing golf two weeks, mm -hmm. three weeks, he is notorious for being grumpy. Still is, and he's been gone from golf for a long time. And I was sitting, I, I was 12 or 13, I probably looked nine, and I was sitting by the, uh, the water cooler. His caddy threw me a golf ball, but it was just outside my reach. And as I was reaching for the ball, this player reached down, grabbed the ball, and threw it in a creek to the right of the eighth hole at Preston Trails <laughs> in Dallas, which is a three-wood par three, or was then. And he looked at me, and he goes, you want it? Go get it. And, <laughs> and I was like, I was, you know, I was only 12 or 13, but I was brought up in a house full of, you know, assured people, mm -hmm. let's say. And, uh, you know, as soon as he hit this wipe-cut shot that was headed towards a bunker, I said, get in the bunker. Get in the bunker. <laughs> I said it, yeah. I thought to myself, but he should, he could damn sure hear it. And he turned around, like pointed at me and tried to have me throw out. And, and the marshal said, I heard what you said, I saw what you did, and you should be thrown out. He said it to the to golf the player. And uh, years later, when I was on tour, I played golf with this guy. Mm -hmm. I thought he was a jerk when I first played the tour. He was a bigger jerk when I did play the tour. Um, he was such a big jerk that he was, you know, it's like dogs can be so ugly that they're cute. He was so, he was such a big jerk that it was almost entertaining. Well, there you go. That was, I will say, that went in a different direction. Yes. Anyway, uh, long story but short. Yes, no, I get what you're saying. Justin was out of line telling the player or the, 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 fan. the fan to get kicked out. Justin has recognized that, right. that he overreacted, right. said as such. That's all you can ask. Now, having said that, Justin yelling, F yeah when he made the putt to win the golf tournament is inexcusable. And him saying, I didn't know the camera was on me. Where did he think the camera would be? You know, on geese on the ponds? Um, the camera would, he knew the camera would be right on him. And that's, that's inexcusable. Uh, even if they don't admit that they want to be, um, <clears throat> you know, um, representatives of, of the traditions of the game, they are. They are, whether they, you know, whether they want to be an example or not. Um, they are, and you know he's he's apologized for that. But I would hope that the tour would fine him excessively for that. You mm -hmm. know, there's five thousand dollars fines and there's hundred thousand dollars fines. This was a hundred thousand dollars fine in my eyes. Well, we will never know. But that, such is the we will never know. But but if I was life. the commissioner, yes. he'd be getting a six-figure fine the next day. Okay, uh, I do think it's interesting. We could be having our our Potter Stewart moment here, where you don't know it until you see it. In terms of where is out of bounds from a fan's perspective. I know Justin, I was out at the Genesis Open and he was playing with Tiger and Rory and he was clearly frustrated by some of the fan interactions and he said before the first round at Honda, he spoke about things like you were saying, where if there's children there, if there's women there, you're saying things that are vulgar, inappropriate, whatever. Getting the bunker does not necessarily qualify in that, in that same line. So we, I think it's gonna be interesting as we go through these next weeks and months, where is that line of is it too far for a fan to be riding a player? Because you do. You see that with guys in the on-deck circle in Major League Baseball. You see that with guys having to, to shoot a free throw in the NBA. It's, it, golf sets itself up, I think, differently, but there is some part of being a mainstream sport that maybe they have to deal with. Well, again, though, I mean, if he's yelling about the profanity that people are yelling when kids are president, he had a profanity-laced exclamation point to a win when kids Thousands of them would have been watching, so you have to be very careful about those kinds of things. Uh, 
And yes, you know, I, I, I think that, uh, I think it was Noda who, who said that the marshals, when the star groups come through, should be turned facing the crowd, mm -hmm. not watching the golf. So there should be education, and I thought that was a, a, a brilliant idea because the marshals, like everybody else, want to turn around and watch Tiger Woods or yep. Jordan Spieth or Justin Thomas. They want to watch them, and they should be turned to the crowd with their signs up looking at them. Because if we indeed do want the game to grow and we want um, non-golf people to come to the sport and embrace it, they're also going to come with non-golf traditional uh, biases. And, and that's going to get a little messy from time to time. Growing pains, let's call them. Mm -hmm. So we have made it, I think, about seven minutes before talking Tiger. That could be a new <laughs> record. But now we got to talk Tiger, uh, or we might just lose this whole podcast. 12th place finish. At Honda, so, so we talked to Phoenix. Since then, we've had the good and the bad with Tiger. We had the missed cut at Riviera, and we had what clearly was an exceeds expectations result at PJ National. We still don't know what he's going to play leading into the Masters. I think that a lot of speculation would lead to think that he's just going to play Bay Hill and then go straight to Augusta, but you don't know. He still has time to commit to Tampa as we tape this. But what are your thoughts right now on the state of Tiger Woods? Well, I couldn't be... You know, more flabbergasted. You know, when I talked to you last, I said something along the effect of I could fix Tiger Woods in two minutes. I recall. Um, yes. I, I have had, you know, many people ask me about that since then, and I, I always joke that that would have included one minute of us yelling at each other <laughs> and one minute of me telling him to move off the ball and stay tall, which is what he did. And that is the difference between what he did at Genesis and what he did at the Honda is that he moved off of the ball and he stayed taller. And as a, as a consequence, like I'd said, look, this one thing will affect a mind-numbing number of other things that I can go into detail by detail. But just suffice it to say, it sets in effect a number of great things and eliminates a number of great things. It, it, got his, it made his golf swing longer. It made it more upright. It, it allowed him to then drop down and rotate and not have to make room by jumping up as much at impact. So um, I couldn't have been more flabbergasted at, at the subtle but <clears throat> monumental changes that he made and not at all surprised by the effect that they had. You know, his club head speed went up, um, his uh, precision went up, and he contended in the event. And now that I've seen that, I have every confidence that he'll win on tour this year when I and, – and look, he – chipped fabulous. I will not say that he chipped great at Farmers. I will not say that he chipped great at the Genesis. I will not say that he chipped great at the Hero. I, I, I'd say he chipped better than disastrous. He chipped okay, but bottom of the pack, basically, in most of those. Mm -hmm. um, he was seventh in um, proximity to the hole with his around-the-green shots at, uh, at Honda. And he, he looked completely confident, and the technique looked fabulous. So, I'm flabbergasted, and I think he could win his next event. Well, I was gonna, that was kind of where I was going to go with that. I said, I think I put this on Twitter. For me, this, it seemed like a point of inflection mm -hmm. to where entering the Honda, even based off of off a pretty good week at Torrey Pines, I kind of felt like I wouldn't be surprised if Tiger wins, but I wouldn't necessarily expect it. I, didn't, I hadn't seen enough. And now, after that, where you're right, he, he checked off a ton of boxes on a variety of fronts, on a difficult golf course that has kicked him in the teeth in better days. And so now it, it almost feels like you, you 
almost expect him to win at some point in the near future, given that his health remains the same and his swing remains the same. Yeah, I mean, the difficulty that he had at Honda <clears throat> came on basically the left to right holes. Uh, I'm sorry, right to left holes. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he's very comfortable. Even at Genesis, he, he, he cuts off the eighth tee and he bombed it. Yeah. Um, all those good drives off 10. He had four great drives off 10. One of them ended up in the rough, but it was 346, and it was right where he wanted to be. But otherwise, they were, you know, 360 to 330, and they were, they were fabulous drives. That's a light left to right hole. On three, he hit four bad drives, and that's a right to left hole. Uh, on 18, he was, didn't, hit very, didn't hit good drives. It's, it's a right to left hole. His, his golf swing, uh, just the way it is right now, I mean, he, it's better when he tries to hit a fake. Um, you know, he hasn't quite figured out how to hit a draw. So, you know, he'll need to hit a draw at Augusta National on number two. He can get around it with a three-wood, but my goodness, it sure helps if he could hit that driver off the right bunker and draw it around there. Otherwise, he can comfortably draw it at 13 with a three-wood. He fades that drive at number eight, just like he hit off at number 10 tee. He fades it off number 15, fades it off 18. It's a fader's mm -hmm. golf course, for the crying out loud, with the exception of a couple of key shots. So that's why I'm, I'm, I'm very bullish <laughs> on what he will do at Augusta National and bullish similarly on what he will do at the Arnold Palmer Invitational because that's, uh, you know, with a couple of exceptions, you know, the tee shot at, at one. Um, but, you know, for the most part, you can get around there with fades beautifully. And, and he certainly has in the past. And you can get away with some inaccurate driving there. And he certainly has done that in the past. Does this change your expectations for him moving forward throughout the season? It does. It definitely does. You know, I... <laughs> You know, I, <clears throat> after Genesis, I thought, you know, he'll miss two cuts in a row. He'll miss the cut at Honda. I couldn't see him winning. I never thought I'd see him winning. You know, I'm, I'm flabbergasted. Uh, you know, that's the word that keeps popping in mind. I think it's conceivable he'll make the Ryder Cup team. It's conceivable he'll, he'll, uh, he'll win a couple times. It's easily conceivable he'll contend in major championships. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's old, and there's some things that he can't quite do like he used to do, but the club head speed's there. The putter's still there. The iron play's still there. You know, he had a, a very good week around the greens. What he said last week when people were questioning him post-round uh, post remarks, he said something along the lines of, you know, I still remember how to hit iron shots. I still remember how to do this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if his body will allow him to do it and he's gotten rid of the, the heebie-jeebies around the greens, yeah, he's still, he's still Tiger Woods. I'm pretty sure that if we go back a year, I could have, knocked you over with a feather if I'd have told you. Here we'd be standing, talking, or sitting rather, talking about Tiger Woods with a 184 mile an hour club head speed off that. 184 mile an hour. Or ball speed rather. A ball yeah. speed, yeah, and that's, and that's with hitting the ball, you know, fairly, ina you know, yeah. not particularly solid. His smash factor was not great. You know, it is club head speed last week, and there's all kinds of people that can't believe it. 124, 124, 128, 127. Now all those were taken off the third hole. Mm -hmm. And he hit horrible drives off all of them. So, you know, there's some people out there saying when you hit it that bad, it skews the reading, you know, because his smash factors were awful. I mean, they were 1.5 is what a tour, 1.4849 is what a tour pro hits. And his were 1.45 or even lower. I mean, they were awful. But I watched him hit, I think, three of the four, and they were awful. But I also watched him hit some good ones, and... I, it wouldn't have been hard for me to imagine that his ball speed was up around 190 miles an hour uh, on, on, what was it, Friday when he hit it 361 off yeah. the 10th hole? 
Yeah, nice little so, 361 power fade over the trees. Right. Not but even, you know, even if right now, if you go on, if you go on PGA Tour stats and you look at his miles per hour, he's fourth on the PGA Tour on club head speed. So he'd probably be dead last in, in smash factor, but fourth in club head speed. Um, so even if they're not true, let's just say he's only swinging 118, 19 miles an hour, which, you know, I think he's swinging faster than that because he's swinging more upright. Um, that's still plenty fast to bomb it out there. And uh, like I said, you know, when you put an iron in his hand, he looks like a guy, he did, you know, he hit it high when he needed to. He hit it low, he hit it left to right, he hit sawed off left to right, hard left to right. You know, the only shots that he had trouble with were 15 and 17. And, and, and I have no doubt that that's completely mental. You know, you can't take a guy who's hitting it the closest in the field and have him hit the worst, worst, I'm sorry, have him hit the worst shots on those two holes without thinking that it's mental. You know, and when you're trying to change your golf swing, you're, you're not particularly sure in every instance how it's going to react, you know, out of the rough, left to right, wind this direction, lie this direction, in this particular instance, wind coming out of the right, um, and, and lots, of, lots of stress and, and how the changes are going to uh, play out when you're feeling that stress. So, you know, I put that up to a lesson learned by him, and it'll go in the memory bank. And, you know, outside of, I don't know that you play any holes like that outside of uh, 17 at the TPC the rest of the year anyway. Mm -hmm. Well, you mentioned the Ryder Cup, and I think that that's, that's another area where, that has changed drastically the last couple of weeks. I was at Riviera when he talked about, oh, I'd love to do both. I want to be a vice captain, and I want to play. And everyone kind of took that in stride with a little chuckle. And now he's got one half of the bargain taken care of. He was named by Jim Furyk as a vice captain. Then he comes out at Honda and plays pretty well. And you can almost kind of see a situation where he could be in a playing asset for the American team going to Paris where they're going to have a tough time even with a stacked squad trying to win that cup in Europe for the first time in 25 years. What are your thoughts on perhaps double duty or maybe eventually having to make a choice on uh, which hat or earpiece he wears? Yeah, my guess is he'll get pegged as a player and his responsibilities as a vice captain will sort of slip to the side. They'll find another vice captain. Although he and Phil um, and Furyk, they're, they're, effective. They're, they're the leaders whether they're playing or not. Um, Although I hear Jordan Spieth is is taking on a role, um, you know, if you know, as a leader, I mean, mm -hmm. you know, he's taking on a role as a leader. It just speaks to the sort of maturity that he has and the respect that everybody has for him. Um, there's plenty of leaders on that team now, and and that is, I give him credit. You know, that is the big difference. I think some of the European tour players were just saying, "You guys have just copied us," and it's like, well, it why worked. why wouldn't we copy you? You know, you, you let the players get individually invested in the outcome of the Ryder Cup, and they take ownership of it, and they take losing personally then. And, and you've seen that, and it makes all the difference in the world. And, you know, they're going to have they're gonna have their work cut out for them because the European team is looking really strong, mm -hmm. really strong. I mean, they've got some, um, some players that, two, you know, a year and a half ago you never even heard of that almost now look invincible. Well, give me, let, let's try and quantify this. Give me a percent chance, let's say, that you think the Tiger is playing on the U.S. team come up, come September. Oh, 80% chance you'll be playing on the team? Really? Yeah. See, I was thinking it would be anything over 50-50. I mean, this is, well, the, you're, you're feeling very strongly that he's going to be playing. Yes. I mean, if the Ryder Cup were 
played next week, he'd get picked. You know, based upon just what he did at the Honda, based upon who he is and what he did. At, you know, if he had if he'd have yucked it around like he did at Farmers at mm -hmm. the Honda and finished 27th like he did at the Honda or 23rd or 5th, whatever he finished at. I'm sorry, at 23rd at, 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 23rd at Farmers. If he had yucked it around and finished 23rd at, at Honda, he wouldn't have got picked. But he looked, he looked like a badass <laughs> at the Honda. And he looked like Tiger Woods' badass, you know. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, with the exception of, of, uh, of Burns, Sam Burns, yeah. nobody really played particularly well when they were playing with him. So, you know, I think he'd get picked. And, and now then, there's only eight that are going to make the team. They're mm -hmm. just going to have four picks. And there is nobody that is going to say, hey, let's not pick T Tiger Woods. And the only 20%, the only reason I said not 100% is because there's a 20% chance that something happens to him physically, you know, I would say. You know, who knows, yeah. you know. Um, you know, because he, there were times when he looked a little fragile to me bending over to get his tee a ball up you know he, mm -hmm. he didn't look he didn't look 22 years old when he was teeing his golf ball up now he looked 22 years old when he was swinging at it <laughs> but he didn't look 22 years old when he was when he was teeing the ball up well I would think I agree with you that it's not going to take much strong play or strong results to really bolster Tiger's potential candidacy I think another guy you could say that about is Phil Mickelson who since we've talked he's turned back the clock three straight Top 10 finishes, a runner-up at Pebble Beach. He is inching closer to a win. Hard to believe it's been five years since his last victory, but he's going to turn 48 this summer and might be playing some of the best golf he's played since he turned 40. What do you make of Phil's recent run? Well, there's a lot going on right there, and it's, it's beautiful to watch. You watch a man 47 turning 48 who is, is, is in a – absolute brawl with father time he is he is not going to let father time get the better of him he's going to he's going to fight for every week every month every year that he can uh, he has turned back the clock so to speak in the decay of his club head speed i point that out because it's how they played golf when you talk about tiger woods and phil mickelson they can't change the way they play golf they played with brute force inaccuracy and fabulous iron play if either one of them all of a sudden became amazingly accurate off the tee, then I wouldn't care so much about club head speed. But Phil Mickelson is not going to change the way he plays golf. He drives it. If I listed 1 to 40, <laughs> okay, the best players of all time in terms of accuracy, 39 and 40 are Phil and Tiger, or Tiger and Phil. Mm -hmm. Phil would be last. He'd be 40th. He's the most inaccurate great player that's ever played the game. And uh, uh, so... Clubhead speed's important to him. He's in the rough a lot, you know, so he needs to be in the rough way up there. And he's done that. He's increased his clubhead speed. He's, in, he's, uh, he's still, you know, he's fabulous on the green. Since he's gone to the claw, he's, he's actually putted better than he ever putted even when he was a kid, basically. Um, so he's turned back the clock, and a big source of pride with Phil Mickelson is that he's never relied on a pick to make a Ryder Cup team. He's made more than anybody else, mm -hmm. and he does not want to rely on a pick. He's got, he's got one coming whenever he needs it, and if he <laughs> needs it, he'll get picked. Right. But there's no way Phil Mickelson is not playing on the Ryder Cup team. You know, that's, that's, a, that's 100%. You know, if, if he doesn't make it, there's three picks in Phil. Yeah. Um, 
but I see him making it. You know, what is he, 12th now, I think? Uh, maybe 11th, somewhere, 11, somewhere 12th. He's there. right yeah. there on the cusp. Is that, uh, he's certainly in a better place right now than he was this time two years ago. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's still qualified he's, for Hazel. He's contending every time, and, you know, he's, he's you know, he, I see a win coming, uh, which, is, which is crazy to think that he hasn't won since 2013. But we all know he will win, um, and, you know, it's not like he's going to win eight more times. You know, he might only win two or three more times, but mm -hmm. but one or two's coming this year. Yeah, I could see it being like a Justin Rose thing. He went so long last year playing great golf without getting a victory. He wins once, turns up the next week, wins again. Exactly. But it's just going to take one to get going. Exactly. Uh, let's run through a couple hot topics here. The big news story this week as we're taping is the change to the U.S. Open playoff structure. Nine months ago, Mike Davis says, we're never going to change it on my watch. Fast forward, <laughs> here we are. He changed his mind, and they are changing from 18 holes on Monday to a two-hole aggregate with the idea of finishing Sunday night. What are your thoughts on that change? Well, I think he probably got slapped in the face with reality of, of this era of if you don't use them, you're going to lose them. And, you know, use those. They're, if everybody's tuned in Sunday night, you got them. Come Monday, who knows? They're on Netflix. They're social media. Who knows where they're at? Um, you know, I've all... I, I get, I get it. You know, the U.S. Open is our national championship. We shouldn't defer to to ratings or rankings. But you know, does anybody look at you know Tiger Woods' victory in the '08 U.S. Open as being more viable than Adam Scott's victory in the Masters in sudden death? No, you. They won. You know, they they knew what they needed to do when they needed to do it, mm -hmm. and they did it. Uh, it's the pressure, ultimately, that someone has to face and, and make the putt. So it makes sense. You know, I like two holes. You know, I absolutely do. You know, I mean, it gives you one mistake. It allows you to get over one mistake. It's not like, you know, you make one mistake and it's over. You, you know, and, and, it, and it holds a guy accountable who's got a one-up lead for one more hole to, uh, to play in U.S. Open pressure. And it's very likely that it gives us a champion on Sunday night with great ratings, you know, everybody watching. It makes perfect sense. You know, I, I applaud them. I think it was a great, great choice. They want you to validate your skin, basically. Validate your skin. That's there, well put. There you go. That's well put. Uh, if you, I was going to ask a follow-up. Is two holes the way you would go? We now have, we've got sudden death, two hole, three hole, and four hole aggregate across the four majors. Given your choice, which way do you prefer to end a major championship? Well, I, it's funny because my wife and I um, had that very conversation yesterday, and I thought two holes is perfect. You know, it, it's... It, you know, three and four, I get what they're trying to do, but when I've watched them, it's like they—they—it's like a Luther Vandross song. It's like, <laughs> when does it end? It's like, right. I want this thing to end, and sudden death ends too soon. Mm -hmm. You know, I've always wanted the Masters. I can't believe that sudden death never took them to the twelfth hole. Just, I yeah. can't believe that it never happened. But gosh, I'd love the Masters to go three holes, ten, eleven, twelve. You know. Um, that's the one thing I, you know, I'd, I'd love to see. I mean, any of the Masters is great, but you just never want the Masters to end. If you're going to go three holes at the Masters, though, you got to go 11, 12, 13. Yeah, that's a good point. Very so good just point. Just throwing it out Fine there. Fine point. Yeah. Um, all right. Another thing. I know. I feel like we talked about this before in terms of the ball rollback. Anytime we're going to sit down, the ball is going to be a topic, yeah. and there were, there are going to be changes throughout the the summer and the year. But this past week, we had Jack Nicholas who is quite the spokesperson on one side. Yes, yes. And then you've got Wally Uline, the former CEO of Titleist, on the other side. And they're going back and forth. And, and Jack's point is basically that, that Titleist has a role 
in holding back some of the changes that potentially were made, but he thinks that they could potentially roll the ball back to what it was in 1995, right in your wheelhouse. We're gonna get, we're gonna get yeah. things right back to where you need it to be. Yeah. But what what uh, do you think about the the latest update on the ball discussion, capital B, and then where do you see it going forward this year? Well, I, you know, f first of all. You know, Jack's comments are rooted in making the game more appealing and tremendous respect for his, his idea and his contributions to the game of golf past, present, future. Um, I just see it differently uh, than, than Mr. Nicholas. Um, it seems to me that he's putting all of the blame on the ball and that in, in rolling the ball back, he solves all the problems of the game. I don't see it like that at all. I, I see the distance that players hit the ball, 40 yards, uh, as being a multifaceted issue. It's, a, it's an issue of the golf club uh, itself, which, depending upon how you look at it, but it's, it's, a, it's a 10 to 20 yard advantage, uh, a metal wood over an old wood and the shaft that they played then, that's a 10 to 20 yard advantage. The golf ball itself, depending upon your launch angles, ballistics, whatever, are, is eight to 12 yards. Agronomy, improved agronomy is certainly counts, five yards at least. And then the athlete itself, the athleticism, I mean, just look at Luke List, mm -hmm. right? And Jack Nicklaus was 5'10", Luke List is 6'4". Um, and that's the way the sport is going. The better athletes, they're stronger, uh, bigger, faster. Yep. Um, that's, a, that's, a, that's a 10 to 15 yard, 8 to 15 yard deal. So when you start to look at all that, the driver is the bigger source of the driving distance. Now, the driver, the rebound effect in the driver, was not written in the first 13 rules of golf. There was, it was written that there is no rebound effect in the face. That driver came out in the 90s, early 90s. The technical director, the then technical director of the USGA, on record said, we see no problem with this club. All distance increases are attributable to the athlete. In other words, they missed it. They absolutely missed the rebound effect for whatever reason. Maybe they, were, they, they weren't they were using uh, a rebound effect in their test. I don't think they replaced the wood with a, re, uh, a rebound effect, a driver with COR of 8.3 or 0.83 until 2004. So they missed it. They absolutely missed it. And, and, and so it's on them. And for them to then point the finger at the ball, I think is, is wrong. Um, all that said, Personally, I don't think the ball needs to be rolled back. It's, it's not the reason for slow play, not by any stretch of the imagination. Um, if you want to say that golf courses are 400 to 500 yards longer than they were 20, 30, 40 years ago, they're not. They're not quite that much further. But a Tour Pro walks 500 yards in a little more than four minutes. That's hardly the reason for slow play. Uh, tour players play slower for a variety of different reasons. They have a lot of people have to, they, they have to pay off before they hit any shot. They have to pay off their sports psychologist with a pre-shot routine. They have to pay them off. Mm -hmm. They're paying them a lot of money. They want to make them happy. They got to pay them off. So they got routines that they've got to perform. And if that routine gets interrupted in any way, they got to start over. Okay, I'm not saying this is bad. I'm just saying this is the issue. They got to pay off their swing instructor. Most of them have one. And they're working on swing thoughts and drills and rehearsals and takeaways. And you see it in almost every one of them. They'll have some rehearsal some rehearsal going back, some rehearsal on the way down. So they got to pay the swing instructor off. They got to pay off their caddy. 
they got to have some conversation with their caddy about every conceivable meteorological possibility that can unfold. they gotta, they got to talk to them about every conceivable agronomical issue that can unfold. All of those things they knew intuitively within five seconds of getting to their golf ball. Trust me, they did. They knew it intuitively. But they got to pay those off. Then they got to pay off the fact that they're, you know, whatever it is, they're working on aim point, they're looking at a, at a, a slope book that's graded, everything on the green, they got to pull that out and look at that. All, again, all of those things they knew intuitively within five seconds. Um, this if the PGA Tour lowered from 60 seconds to 40 seconds, the first person to hit their tee ball and the first person to hit their second shot on the par fours and fives and first person to hit their third shot on the par fives and first person to hit their shots around the greens and first person to putt, right now that's 60 seconds. Mm -hmm. That is an eternity, 60 seconds. Um, if they lowered it to 40 and then lowered the next person to 30 seconds, Whatever problems we have with slow play, and then and then vigorously enforce that. That's okay? the that's the vigorously second enforce half that. You got to tip your cap to the European Tour. Every week, I'm reminded of just how amazing the European Tour is, how forward thinking they are. But this idea of a shot clock at the Austrian Open that's coming up this year, the whole world of golf will be watching that to see if it disrupts the play and how it affects the play. My guess is it won't at all affect the play. Players, I think this would be doing a huge favor for the players if the tour did this because it would force them to play more intuitive golf mm -hmm. and they would play better. You ask every single tour player when they get almost to the man, almost to the woman, when they come up and when someone comes up and starts timing you, you can't believe how easy the game gets and you can't believe how much better you play the game and how much freer you play the game. You look, you shoot. You look, you shoot. You look, you swing. You play golf. And you don't imagine all of the things that, that may or may not affect the game, again, that you knew intuitively within five seconds. You've been playing this game your entire life. Nobody knows more about you, what's going on with your body chemistry, what the lie will do, what the lie up there will do, and what the wind's doing, than you. Well said. I would agree. I think that uh, <laughs> there's a lot of things we can do. And, but I, my, my thing is the vigorous enforcement. We need to get the... Yeah, and I look, I, 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 I love the tour officials. They do a hell of a job. They really do. And, and, and maybe it's just that they need more of them, you know, mm -hmm. but they need vigorous enforcement of the rules. Um, and, and I think that would get us a long way. That's a slow play thing, you know. Uh, but again, I, I've said this before, you know, it's not the ball in my, in my right. I don't view it as the ball. I love the distance that we're hitting. The hardest thing to do in golf is hit it long and straight. And watching Dustin Johnson and Rory McIlroy or any of the players, Tiger Woods hit at 361, long and straight, is more impressive than watching someone who 40 years ago hit 280 mm -hmm. long and straight. When I see someone hit at 360 dead down the middle, it makes me jump out of my chair. Um, I don't remember jumping out of my chair in the 80s, and I was just as interested in golf then as I am now. When someone hit it 280 dead center, I was like, wow, good drive. Now I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah. I mean, you get 1% off, and that's in the, it's in the rough. You get 2% off, and it's in the sticks. Um, so I, I love that. And the most memorable shots, if you ask ardent fans most memorable shots in the last three years, a lot of them would say the drive that Dustin Johnson hit on the final hole in 2016 U.S. Open. Certainly a lot of them would say the final hole of the Northern Trust last year that Dustin Johnson hit. And I know many of them might say the Tournament of Champions off the 12th tee. I certainly would. Uh, you know, it is fun watching guys hit it long and straight. I don't want the ball to be 
rolled back. The Titleist doesn't want the ball to be rolled back. As far as I can tell, the PGA of America, who represents their 29,000 uh, golf professionals, men and women, who represent the 25 million golfers, don't want the golf ball to be rolled back. The PGA Tour, who represents the best players in the world, as far as I can tell, they don't want the golf ball to be rolled back. So that's a lot of people that don't want the golf ball rolled back. Uh, and, 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 and by the way, it is not making short golf courses obsolete. In the last 10 years, the highest winning scores at U.S. Opens are Marion, Pebble Beach, and Olympic. And they're 7,000 yards or under. The behemoths like Aaron Hills, they pose no threat to the guys that Marion did. And why is that? Because the design is superior. Because they have dog legs. Because they have angle matters. You get out of position there, it doesn't matter if you got a wedge in your hand, you can't stop it. And if you can't cut the corner, you can't, so again, that's another issue. If, if you had more dog legs and golf courses that were far more dependent upon angles, you'd force players into playing golf balls that spun more mm -hmm. so that they could get the golf ball to curve so that they could get in the proper position. And that was the defense of Marion is that players had to play to turn points because they couldn't get the ball to curve around the dog legs. They'd go straight through them. And, and that, you know, that, that proved that the design was far from obsolete. It was as fierce as it ever was. So we are five weeks away from the Masters, but who's counting at home? Give me, <laughs> right now, who's your favorite for the, for the Masters? Jordan Spieth. Um, you know, Vegas says Dustin Johnson followed by Spieth, but you, you're going you're to say Spieth. I think betting on Jordan Spieth at Augusta National is never a bad idea. But feel well, right. It hasn't proven to be a bad idea. Okay. His record there is, is mind-blowing. You know, it's, it's Palmer-esque. Uh, it's, it's Nicholas. It's, it's on that way. You know, he's proven that. And if you look at everything, you know, driving is the weakest part of his, his game. His iron play is stellar. Uh, he's the best chipper outside of Steve Stricker or Jim Furyk and they don't have the requisite other mm -hmm. skills to the extent that Jordan Spieth does. Um, Jordan Spieth all the way around. Um, Dustin Johnson, uh, yeah, I would, I would flip-flop the two. I, I would have given anything to see Dustin Johnson tee off there last year mm -hmm. without tripping down the stairs. Um, you know, and, and Tiger Woods would probably be third, you know, my third favorite, you know, based upon what I saw at the Honda. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of somebody I would put in that, you know. Well, I was going to say, so we've had, I mean, this has been a, a big run of notable winners early this year. DJ won, John Rahm won, now Justin Thomas. Jason Day wins at Torrey Pines. But you're still leaning, A, on, on Spieth getting the top seed above all those guys and then also putting Tiger ahead of guys like Day, Rory, Fowler, yeah, well, Justin Ro Rose. Rory's iron play has fallen off. Um, you know, it's just, I think he was 73rd or 4th out of 76 that made the cut at, at Honda with his iron play. Um, you know, last year in some key, key areas of the iron play, he was dead last on the PGA Tour. And it's, it's trending downward. It's trending to the worse. Um, you know, and that's, that's a huge piece of the puzzle. Yep. You know, when, when he was contending, uh, well, he's, he contended last year. I mean, he's, he's amazing. I'm, it's not like I'm not considering Rory. I mean, Rory can do things that only a couple other people in the game of golf can do, but he hasn't shown me that his iron play is as sharp as it needs to be to win there. Will I consider him for the top two? Absolutely. Will he contend? Probably. Um, you know, Justin Thomas, um, you know, he still misses to the left. 
and when you miss to the left at Augusta National, you know, it, it's, it's a mental burden that you carry with you there. And Ricky Fowler, you know, in my mind, he hasn't quite figured out how to cut it off a hook lies. You know, you've you got to be able to swing across a hook lie, which you have many key shots to start with the very first hole. You know, you have to be able to cut it off that, you know, that draw lie at the first hole. You have to be able to cut it off the draw lie at 13 for sure. And you have to be able to cut it off the draw lie at 18. And, you know, he swings, his arms get away from his body. Now, I know he's working on that with Butch Harmon, but, you know, he hadn't quite put those pieces to the puzzle yet. So if you go down player by player, I can sort of not eliminate them from contending, but eliminate them from saying, I think they're going to win with something. Okay. You know, Tiger showed me every single thing I needed to see at the Honda to, to, to believe he could win there. Dustin has shown it to me a million times. Jordan Spieth, good gracious. I mean, where does that guy come from? Mm -hmm. You know, who shows up with, with that many intangibles? It drives us all nuts because, you know, his toolbox of intangibles is... It's full and none of us can see it. So turning on the other side of the coin, who do you want to, or who do you need to see something out of in these next four or five weeks? Most of the big names are going to play probably two, maybe three times before getting to Augusta. So who do you signal out as saying, I need to see more out of this? Well, Justin Rose, you know, Justin Rose is playing phenomenal golf. Um, just need to see him, you know, putt a little bit better. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, it wouldn't take much for yeah. him. Um, it, it wouldn't take much to see Phil Mickelson contend there. You know, it's, it's going to be phenomenal. I can't wait to watch John Rahm play there. Mm -hmm. I, I, I can't. He's got, he's got the ferve to get it done there. You know, he really does. You know, history tells us you need two, three years of experience to get it done there. It was even the case with Jordan Spieth. You know, it looked like he was going to win, and then Bubba put it in overdrive, and, and Spieth came back the next year and won. But... Um, you know, I need to see more from Rory. I need to see him have a week of great iron play, you know, where he doesn't miss long and left. You know, he missed a handful of times long and left at the Honda and then short and right. You know, he's, he's got these bizarre iron misses that, you know, it looks like to me that he, you know, he sets up with far too much, teachers would call it thoracic extension. To me, it's like the lower back is concave at address so he doesn't get that short short um, short stretch shorten cycle that you need um, you know you, you need to have that you need to be relaxed and then stretch at the top of your backswing and and it looks to me like he just has a little too much tension in his back and it's 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 causing him to uh, to hit his irons worse than he was before when we handicap Rory specifically for the masters how big of a role is going to be the grand slam burden of trying to get that fourth leg. I feel like we might need to patch in Justin Ray here just to, to double check. But I believe everyone else that has finished off the career Grand Slam, the fourth leg, they did it in three tries or less. This is going to be his fourth trip to Augusta in search of the fourth leg of the career Grand Slam. Are we, is that, is that too much of a media narrative, or do you think that that's really going to be something that is going to affect him once we get to tournament week? I don't. I don't think it will affect him. I think people who have the talent to win three legs of the Grand Slam are pretty much exempt from the pressures of the media because by then they would have been subjected to every awkward um, question and every competitively inconvenient question you could ever imagine and proven that they're immune to those. 
it's, it's, it's the realities of does his game match up that week to the difficulties of the golf course. If you look at most people who had three legs of the Grand Slam uh, and didn't win the fourth one, they were either long in the tooth when they needed to win the fourth one, or in the case of, say, Ali Trevino, the golf course either didn't match up with their particular game or their attitude didn't match up with what was required of that particular venue. Uh, you know, or some part of their game left them, like Arnold Palmer's, you know, putting left him and, and luck left him, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, he could have easily won the PGA Championship. Um, you look at Rory and, and you, you think he's just too talented not to figure it out at some point, but it's not a given. I mean, nobody would have ever guessed that that Arnold Palmer would never win another major championship after 1964. Nobody, uh, nobody in the wildest imagination would have guessed that uh, Tom Watson would never win another major championship after 1983. Um, so it's not a given, for sure. He's got to go out there and do it. And, and unfortunately, I don't know if it's injuries or distractions or a combination of sort of technical things that are sort of intermittently um, putting him a little bit off of his game. We shall see, like I said, five weeks until the Masters. I would prefer it to be tomorrow. I'm sure you would as <laughs> I well. Would be sure, I would prefer it be tomorrow and then the last five weeks. That's fine with me. Yeah. We'll just do it. Right? Maybe send that memo to the USJ. Let's just have a 15-round tournament at Augusta National. Yes. I think we'll be fine with that. Well, Brandel Shambly, thank you very much for taking the time to discuss all of the, the hot-button issues yeah, of the you. game this week. Appreciate always, it. Always nice talking to you, Will. Thank you much. Well, this has been another edition of the Golf Channel Podcast with Brandel Chambly. I'm your host, Will Gray. Remember, the Golf Channel Podcast, available on GolfChannel.com and your favorite podcast provider. Go to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Art19, Google Play, any of those. You can search Golf Channel and subscribe. If you like the show, leave us a rating, leave us some feedback with a review. Be sure to tell your friends. Brandel, thanks again for joining us and I look forward to doing this again. You bet. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.